This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Good morning. This is Talking Devils, the leading independent Manchester United podcast. I'm your host, Wayne Barton, joined on a bumper podcast this morning to talk over a very emotional week uh, and weekend at Manchester United. If you're watching live on YouTube or Facebook, Feel free to comment, get your questions in. If you're watching live on YouTube, if you can subscribe and like the video. And if you're watching live, uh, the replay, if you can leave a comment on the replays, because we do reply. If you're listening back on the audio podcast, if you can give us a, a subscription and a, a repos- positive review on the platform you're listening on. Um, there's only really one place to start this week. I mean, I'll come to the guys first of all, though. Um, Paul, how are you doing? You had a, a nice weekend? Um, I don't know if it was nice. I mean, I went Brentford Burnley. I scored, I'm sorry, I saw three goals. I got absolutely soaked standing in the rain for 20 minutes on the at Kew Bridge train station. So it wasn't great, but I saw three goals. Yeah, um, <laughs> saw three goals. Dave, so did we. Manchester United scored two of them, which is always nice. Um, how was your weekend? Was all right? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Our, our title charge has started this weekend, so I'm happy. Yeah. That's optimism. Good grief. Um, and joined by uh, the legendary football writer, Patrick Barclay. How are you doing, Paddy? Yeah, right? I'm, I'm fine, thanks. I'm, I'm terrific, in fact, because uh, the weekend that saw Dundee FC's uh, unbeaten run stretched to 25 days, during which time we've not played because of bad <laughs> weather. But uh, I mean, I'm uh, I'm definitely a, a cup half full man, so uh, yeah. that's great. Yeah, we 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 live to fight another day. Title charges and unbeaten runs. What time yeah, absolutely. Um, this is the most upbeat podcast in podcastdom. Unfortunately, um, it's going to be a little bit downbeat because we're going to talk about the the very sad passing of Sir Bobby Charlton over the weekend. Passed away on. <laughs> um, Bonafide Manchester United legend, and, and really that doesn't even seem to, to cover it. This is that, you know, for a long time, he was the man with the most appearances and most goals for Manchester United, the most successful player in the club's history, Mr. Manchester United, a byword for English football and even being English wherever you were, even British to some extent, um, wherever you were in the world, and um, a man who represented the club for almost his entire life um, with class, with dignity, and summarised. In a person, epitomised what it meant to be a Manchester United player, employee. Uh, Paul, I'll come to you first with this um, very sad news. Yeah, it was. I was. I heard it when I was at the ground. Heard it reasonably early, and had to kind of not kind of say anything or nothing could be mentioned about it. And it just made me just think about someone who I met on numerous occasions, which, but never really took advantage of that situation on that side of it, just saw him as a, a, he was a normal person. He was standing around you, joining in your conversation, and he was just with somebody who just loved football and just loved that football club. And I think just in certain ways, as you describe, um, you know, Sir Bobby Charlton, you describe him as somebody with, with honour and with, um, with integrity, 
in the way he conducted himself as a person and what and the way he was seen by that football club. He was everything that the football club is, in my opinion, or should be seen as. Yeah, that's yeah, perfectly said that. Paddy, um, like me, you were asked by the media to say <clears throat> a few words or, yes. or his passing. I mean, people will remember and are remembering his story. Um, what are your memories of what a fantastic footballer he was? Well, before before I'd like to talk about that, but before I would like to talk about the the scale of you mentioned legend, and it's an overused word, but not in this case, um, because the I, I was I've been thinking about this. He died at the age of eighty six, and eighty one of those years were his love affair with Manchester United because he fell in love. Uh, he, he, he developed something for Manchester United. He should have been a Newcastle fan, of course, coming from the northeast. But uh, um, he listened to the 1948 Cup final, Manchester United 4, uh, Blackpool 2, on the radio and or kept in touch with it through word of mouth while playing football in the streets in Ashington. And, uh, and that was what really sparked his love of my, and, and made him sign, really, part of Part, partly that and partly the silver tongue of Joe Armstrong, the, the great chief scout of Manchester United under Matt Busby, um, did the trick. So, <coughs> he and, and he was in, in love with Manchester United all that time. In, 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 in fact, the story of Manchester United, as we know it, big club, huge club, is the story of Bobby Charlton. Because... Before Bobby Charlton came to Manchester United and his generation um, of, of Busby Babes, Manchester United was not even the biggest club in Manchester. And uh, everything that's happened in terms of the scale, the vision of Manchester United, and way beyond his playing years, because it was Bobby's relation, boardroom relationship with Martin Edwards that led to the identification of Alex Ferguson as the only man who could pick up the baton of Busby. And my God, did that judgment prove justified. So um, Bobby, although he probably never even mentioned it, uh, had, a, had a say in the continuation of Busbyism for decades beyond Busby, so uh, he was. He was very much, you know, you, you could. He was. He was Manchester United, and it, 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 every bit as much, I think, as as Matt was. So, <clears throat> people, students, I hope will start learning their history, relearning their history, um, in in the wake of Bobby's death, and and realize just how big a figure he was beyond his football. Now, I'm sorry to take so long. As a footballer, now I'd be interested in Paul's take on this because now that the game has become more ta more tactical and more of a team game, Bobby Charlton's ability to switch play, which is switching the play, is a, is is a way of tiring your opposition of of moving your opposition about. He did that better than any player I've ever seen in my life, and. It, 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 his ability to to switch from right to left and and to see the whole park was was incredible. And of course, his passing—he was able to pass. You know, if if, if if Paul, if you'd if you'd gone down that right wing back channel, he, all you'd have had to do is stick your toe out, and it would have landed on it. And uh, I, I mean, he must have been a joy to play with and a joy to manage because of all he could do. I'm remembering him in one position. Of course, he could play. Uh, he was, although he was England record goal scorer for many, many years, decades. Um, he wasn't a striker. He was. He was just a footballer. He just did everything. You know, he could do everything. And of course, he could shoot harder than. When I was a boy growing up in Scotland, I hated him because he scored a he scored a volley in a four 0 victory. At, I mean, in those days, we didn't think England were better than us. And, he, one time, Bobby, I think it was Bobby's first ever England-Scotland game, and he scored with a volley. Uh, I think it was from about 85 
meters. <laughs> Although I've seen it on telly and it was actually more like 16. But it was a volley. And, and you, you didn't get great goals in those days. But Bobby seemed to score nothing else but great goals. And this was one against us. And we lost Scotland, beaten 4-0. So he and Bobby Moore, you know, they wore that pristine England white shirt, you know, with the three lions and all. They, they sort of symbolised the superior English superiority for us or our inferiority complex. It was, he was just godlike as a, as a player. Um, absolutely, um, it, it, it's almost not an exaggeration to say he was, he was like a god on the field because he just didn't seem to be able to do anything wrong. Well, Paddy, like I've just about composed myself this morning, but when you said that, you know, his story is Manchester United's, it like yeah. here immediately came into my eye. Um, Dave it is, I mean, that's the thing, it's. Paul's spoken as a former player, Paddy is someone who watched him play and, you know, unequaled with the way that he tells that story. But, I mean, for us as fans, it's an emotional one that's difficult to comprehend and articulate, isn't it? Uh, it is. It is. And, you know, I'm, unfortunately, I'm not, I wasn't old enough to see Charlton play. Um, I was born in 74. You know, still a little bit young to, to be able to see and understand uh, Manchester United that age. But, you know, my dad has been a, support all his life you know from the 50s um, and and growing up uh, in the following united you know early 80s onwards he would he would talk about the trinity of, of best law and, and especially charlton uh, he said he you know i spoke to him over the weekend and you know he was pretty devastated by it but he's often said in the past that there was there was no one that could hit a ball as sweetly as, as bobby charlton and and when he hit it there was only going to be one result and that was oh, back yeah. in the net um so yeah it's you know it's it's i mean paddy said he was he was godlike on the pitch i think he was also godlike off the pitch he's, he's just one of those unique players that was so loved on it and so loved off it um, and he does he he just he is mr manchester united um the one of the things that i that i didn't um that didn't equate in my head as as, as the emotions went through your head over the weekends was um, and i think you would mention that way and um, uh, he was the last link to Munich, um, and that kind of struck a chord. Um, uh, you know, the last player uh, from the Munich yeah. air disaster. I mean, a phenomenal story, you know, an absolutely phenomenal story from start to finish with Bobby Charlton. And um, we were we were lucky enough to, to have a little bit of uh, Bobby Charlton um, uh, memories here in, in Ireland because uh, he, he played four times for a team not too far from where I live here. He played for Waterford in, in 76. Um, so, yeah, we have a little bit of claim to fame here in the region, uh, down here in the, the sunny southeast. So, uh, yeah, it, it, an absolutely phenomenal player. I don't think I don't think we're going to see the likes of him ever again. And I know uh, it's the measurement is that it's not just Manchester United supporters that know the name of Bobby Charlton. I think it's, it's supporters all over the world know the name of Bobby Charlton. And that just tells you how much of a... How yes. much of a big influence he had in football, and um, yeah. not just in United, not just in England, but globally, you could go anywhere and, and mention the name Bobby Charlton, and people know who he is. So. Yes, yeah. that, was, that was true. It was uh, before. I mean, it, it, I go back a, <clears throat> a long, long way further than any of you boys, but uh, I can remember before sort of widespread education. But you know, nowadays, if you travel the world, there's always somebody who speaks English. But in a time in the the old days when I was around and and not everybody spoke English. They spoke two words, Bobby and Charlton. You could say Bobby Charlton anywhere and the guy's face would light up, you know, because they yeah. know what that meant. So, yeah, um, like Paddy said, he's a story of Manchester United. <clears throat> it is. It's the greatest story in football history as far as I'm concerned. You won't ever find a career that has that storyline in it it's unimaginable and um you know we could talk for hours about how sad a loss this is to manchester united but you know the story does go on it went on after munich just as you know he, he came straight back into the team after not long of convalescing and he was the figurehead around which busby built the next great team and you know unfortunately you know life does still go on and we're here to talk about another thing that, you know, regarding United's future is um, the news that broke last Saturday, which was um, Sergio Ratcliffe's um, agreeing 
an investment for around 25 uh, 25% of the club thought to be worth about 1.5 billion and um so 1.5 billion dollars i believe it is um, paddy the reason why we've got you on today and hopefully we'll make use of you before you because you won't be on for all of the podcasts i don't think but we'll make use of you while you're here um because you interviewed uh, sir jim yes um over the last year for yeah and people around him as well for yes. part of the book which was called grit rigor and humor um you were part of a, a number of people contributed to the book and mm -hmm. I, I, might, I might be wrong in this but I feel like it was a period in, of time in between where he declared his intention to buy the club yes. but before the Glazer family announced their strategic review so when you had an opportunity to talk to him about his plans and how he sees himself as an investor yes. or custodian for the club I know Paul and Dave will probably have their own questions to um Ask you people yeah. in the comments if you if you're watching, please do feel free to, and we'll try and get to some. But first of all, I want to ask very simply, what was your impression of him when it came to his intentions for um, ownership or part ownership of Manchester United? <clears throat> well, one thing is for sure. Uh, I've read one one or two um, reports which have said he claims to be a supporter of a lifelong supporter of Manchester United. Um, and and tying that in with the fact that he bid for Chelsea and and indeed for Barcelona, which wasn't which I didn't know until I until I met him, but uh, and and he, and, the, and he owns Nice. But uh, one thing is for sure, he is a Manchester United supporter, uh, uh, and nobody should make any mistake about that. He told me, well, he told me various things. He told me he doesn't have heroes, but if he did have a hero, it would be Eric Cantona. And I, I, he, he then went into fine detail uh, about the, the Cantona effect. I gave him a statistic that I always use, which is that Man United, in the season in which Cantona signed, were scoring one goal a game. Cantona came, and instantly it became two goals a game, average, just like that. And he, he, he absorbed that statistic with due contempt and then went on to come out with more, which explained that if you subtract Cantona's the year of the ban, if you like, uh, from United's fortunes in the rest of the time, he was basically successful in every full season in which he played. Yeah. And uh, anyway, he, he was very proud that um, some friends of his had got together to give him a 70th birthday present or maybe it was his sixth, I can't remember, one of his birthdays, uh, a present of, you know, tributes from people. And Beckham and, and, and Alex Ferguson had sent, you know, happy birthday, Jim. And, uh, but, but when he heard Cantona's voice on it, you know, wow. Um, so Cantona's his hero. He also told me a story about, I was brought up in, uh, I think it was Failsworth, between you know, between central Oldham and central Manchester, that, that area um, of northern Manchester. And uh, was a, was his, dad, he, his dad was a United fan and they used to go to games. But then his dad went into business in Hull, I think it was, in East Yorkshire. And um, so they weren't able to go to many games, but there were as many games um, as before. But they went... Definitely when United were playing at Leeds. And one time they went to watch United playing at Elland Road. And the place was packed, as you can imagine. You know, local local Derby Plus, really, when those two teams meet. And uh, it, was, it was the days before tickets. And the ground was full. And there were a couple of United fans trying to jump over, uh, climb over a wall. And Jim said, it was about, Jim must have been about, 14, he said to his dad, I'm, I'm going to jump over the, the wall. And his dad said, well, you, you better be careful. And anyway, he did. And there were policemen grabbing the scallies as they tried to go over the wall. And he said, while the police were um, busy arresting or preventing these guys from jumping, I managed to jump up and into the ground. And he saw the game. Can't remember that he couldn't remember the score, but you know I thought well, 
these credentials are building up quite uh, convincingly. And uh, sure enough, he, he had he had plenty of opinions. He's just like a fan. He's When he talked about Nice, he was going on about, you know, that bloody manager does this, and I keep telling him. And, and his assistant, Tom Crotty, was uh, was saying, but you can't, he's the coach. Ah, but he's, he's useless. He picks the wrong players and all that. So one thing I wouldn't be certain of is that he's... <laughs> He's not gonna. He's not gonna stick his oar in at Old Trafford. I, I, I suspect he might. Uh, I suspect uh, uh, Eric Ten Hag or whoever his coaches uh, coaches are will um, will be offered the benefit of his opinion. He knows not to because Tommy, his, his mate, tells him, you know, you've got. And he says, "Well, I want it." You know. Um, so that's the kind of guy he is. He's like a fan. He's like. He's like. Any other fan would be if they had loads of dosh and, and, and were able to buy into Manchester United. That's my impression anyway. Maybe maybe he'll, you know, rein himself in. But he is, you know, he's he's very, you know, understandably full of his own opinions, you know, and uh, an assertive sort of guy. Um, United have got a lineage of owners with different backgrounds obviously there's you know the everyone remembers davis and gibson for their benevolence you know davis funding a new stadium yes gibson rebuilding the stadium and, and saving the club from bankruptcy um the edwards family um always invested the club's money in the infrastructure and you know rebuilding old trafford to, to the monolith that it became and the greatest stadium in the country for for a long period of time and obviously funded the transfers even although Ferguson and Edwards would often um conflict with wage caps and everything like that with the foreign players until the club um until Edwards sort of stepped down really and Kenyans came in and, and the wage cap was sort of abolished um in that regard and then the Glazer family who have leveraged debt on the club and obviously that's impacted the, the the financial situation there how does um Jim Ratzer Jim see his position with that lineage what does he see his responsibility as as an owner or investor in the club? <clears throat> well he, he's he's never as far as i know said a word against the glazers um for even in private actually um when i had a brief period of access to him um so um it seems pretty obvious that he will be working alongside them but uh, the difference i think is that they say they are custodians he actually believes that um he believes that in reality the club and i'm putting words in his mouth here but i don't think he'd wildly disagree that true ownership of the club is in the fans and that the financial ownership of the club should be seen as a, a stewardship, as a as a custodianship, as a as a duty of care. And I think he will um, use his influence in the best interests of Manchester United, um, plain and simple. It, and that means winning football matches, winning trophies, uh, using the global power of the club brand call it what you will uh, to produce the maximum <clears throat> success on the field and um, I think to that to that extent even though it is not the end of the Glazer era by any means um, it will feel different yeah um, Paul David I will leave the floor open to you guys if you've got obviously i was rambling on there like as i tend to do um do you guys have any questions for paddy with regards um sir jim i'm sure you will have dave but i'll let paul get it first if he's got any do you have any comments about um, the ratcliffe situation anything you'd like to ask paddy about his experience of dealing with him yeah paul i'll come to oh, you oh sorry I'm... Look, paddy's kind of said it in a way when he just mentioned it just a bit when he talks about the fact of you know he's going to want to say which is always a worry for me even my boy said something to me last night he saw somewhere that is 
Radcliffe's name's come up and he's mentioned with another manager. Then a few weeks ago, we, um, someone <clears throat> added words, you know, to his name saying he's looking at the Spurs director of football. And I'm, and I'm just there kind of going, wow, you know, it's, it's, it's what football's become now. You And you know that, you know that there's a, a new owner or a new semi <clears throat> who comes in and what they want to do is they've got all these people around them who know who know football better than anyone else. <laughs> they yeah. do know football better than anybody else. They come in and then they want, then they say to go and do this because they've got a friend who knows somebody who's an agent who can go and get so-and-so. So you end up with a new manager and then the manager then has this agent who has his own stable of players and it, Again, it's a big, big change around, and this is going on. And and I just like someone to come in and just say, at this moment in time, Ten Hag deserves the opportunity to run to to manage a team by a football club being run properly with the structure committed towards putting the team first. The most important part of the football club is what happens on the football pitch. <clears throat> Manchester United is the luckiest club in the country because. If it was about the football pitch, they'd be bankrupt now. But because of what's about the club, mm. the history and everything that goes with it, that club still makes more money than any other club in the country off the pitch. So mm. that's that's the, that's the status that United are. I want something to give Ten Hag the opportunity, as he had in his first team, where we, everyone was cut his first season, so everything looked fine. Up until that League Cup final, when, that's when you saw it drifting away a little bit. Yeah. When you saw the problems starting to start again, which every single manager has had yeah. at Manchester United since 2013. You start to see it happening after that League Cup final and bang, it's happened. So I just want the club just to be in a position where the easiest thing for me to say is when the season finishes, by the time you're talking the end of May, June, you already virtually know the players that, Manchester United have got as it was before rather than getting to the last two weeks is it is he is it going to happen you end up with second third choice players and it's a case of chasing again so my biggest concern is what I've already alluded to yes. is that I don't want to I don't want to see <coughs> another version see a version of what's happened at Chelsea in Manchester yes yeah. I, I think that's I, I think Paul has hit um a lot of nails on the head there, um, in terms of of a of a concern. Um, <clears throat> the main thing I think that that Manchester United do have to get right is recruitment. The player recruitment over the last I don't know, you can go back ten years has been pathetic. I mean, there's players have cost huge fees have gone to Manchester United, and they have. No character, none at all. They're not Manchester United players. Now, yes, there's, it's always been possible to um, make a mistake. You know, who would have guessed, I can remember at the time, who would have guessed that Gary Birtles wouldn't fit in at Manchester United when you go back all those years? There are mistakes, but there, there are obvious mistakes being made and being made on a repeated uh, basis uh, by by this great club, which really should not be taking place. And uh, so something has to be done about the uh, the structure of the club. And if you look at, if, if, if we are to imagine, if we're to take a scenario whereby the Glazers say, okay, Jim, you know, we've taken a lot of stick. You know, you can be the public, the more public face of the boardroom or the ownership. Then uh, he he has to perform better than he did at Nice, where there were several false starts. They're now doing well, but there were several false starts. There were even as little as eighteen months ago. There was a round of recruitment there at Nice, which was. I'm sorry to say, laughable. Uh, okay, Aaron Ramsey's a good player, a good professional, but Ross Barkley, one or two others. I mean, dear, oh dear, who's who's going to be stupid enough to buy Ross Barkley? You know, 
I mean, it's. I think that's a worry that there, there, there might be, you know, there might be a learning curve, to yeah. put it politely. And I think Paul's speaks with great wisdom about about why I think things will feel different for the better, but it's not going to be heaven tomorrow. Dave, do you have any um, questions regarding, um, obviously, Paddy's insight with Sir Jim? All right, are we ready? Okay. From from a supporter standpoint, there's a lot of questions, you know, we, we obviously want answered. Um, it, it's very obvious, you know, for the past 10 years, for a large majority of that, the players that we have brought in were more so to do with the, the, the balance sheet than it was to do with winning stuff on the pitch. You know, there were so many square pegs we brought in to try and bash into a round hole over the past 10 years. It's, it, it was quite frightening. We brought in players to sell, you know, to sell jerseys. We brought in players to sell sponsorship. We never really brought in players to win on the pitch. Yeah, we, we got a couple, you know, here and there that, that worked out. Um, but Paddy said it right there, you know, when you come to Manchester United, and, and Paul knows this better than any of us on this, you have to have a certain character. It, it's few and far between where we bought players in the past 10 years that had that special character to play for Manchester United. It really is. And that's the biggest concern as a supporter for me is that, you know, Paddy talks about how passionate Sir Jim Radcliffe is. Uh, that could be a blessing, um, but it could be a hindrance as well. Um, because, you know, he he could see players that he feels that will do well on the pitch when in fact he's a very very good businessman i mean he doesn't he doesn't have the vast amount of wealth by not being a good businessman we've had businessmen run our club we now need football people to run our club um some reports are saying that the glazers will retain the commercial side uh, so jim will retain the sporting side if that is the case um, it's a shrewd move by the Glazers because they'll go, okay, Jim, you're out front now. You know, anything that goes wrong on the pitch is all to do with you. When we know a lot of the times it goes wrong on the pitch is because what's happened off the pitch. Um, so uh, I think he needs to come out and explain what the actual structure is. Um, and, you know, Paddy, it's a long about quest, uh, roundabout question in, in Wayne fashion. Um, but the question... <laughs> The question is You've learned you've learned from the master Dave. <laughs> the question is, um, do you feel that Sir Jim will, you know, if he is taking control of the, the football side, do you think he will bring in the likes of Paul Mitchell? Do you think he will bring in, you know, football people? Um, I look at Bayern Munich and I'm envious of them. They, they mm. their club is run by football people. Yeah. Um, a lot of clubs in Germany are. Um, do you think he is going to bring in people that, that are football people? And I know it's going to be tempting for him to get involved because you, when you spend $1.5 on something, you kind of do want your say, right? Yes. But he is a businessman. Do you think he's going to bring in a lot more football people to actually run that side of the club? I think, I think he has to. Um, I, th I, I, think he, I think he knows he has to, to bring in, in proper football people. It, it kind of it takes us back to, to Sir Bobby Charlton because when Sir Alex Ferguson, who obviously is a football person, came to Old Trafford, it wasn't easy at first. And uh, it, it, to, to succeed Ron Atkinson. And, and, and he benefited from having football people, Bobby Charlton, Matt Busby, in the building. Because when things were going wrong, those greats could... Now, I, you know, I'm not saying... Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, 
let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. I think the, the heads of recruitment have the profile of, of those two great men. But um, but yes, you definitely you definitely need to get expertise because it, it, um, I hope this is not a, a sort of disrespectful phrase, but uh, Manchester United has been like the blind leading the blind for too long. There's nobody, because dear Sir Bobby was not a strong man in his last few years, there's nobody there who knows, I was going to use a bad word, anything, and about anything. And, and, and that is frightening when you when you consider the potential of Manchester United. Yeah. Um, Paddy, I've, I've got one last one before you um, to leave us. Um, Obviously, before, the, before you send me off for being disrespectful, yeah, before I send you back in, um, uh, it has been really your insight this morning has been great and really appreciate your time. Um, one, one thing obviously is a concern to a lot of supporters is the 25% figure of people saying, Oh, he's you know, I and we know he's he's agreed that figure because that's the quickest way to facilitate an agreement with the, the Glazers. Mm. Um, and obviously to get one step ahead, to use what he's got to his power ahead of, you know, the, the Sheikh, Jassim bid, which, yeah. you know, could have gone on forever. Yes. So I guess my question, I'll come out a lot shorter than, than Dave took. Um, I'm learning, <laughs> be more concise with my, my questions. Do you think that there's a strategy in play that, he, you know, he, he will want full control of the club. Do you think he, he will be quite happy to sit with that 25% or do you think that that is just the start? You know, I, I, the answer is I, I don't know, but my sus suspicion um, will be that that's the long-term intention. Um, but the Glazers are unpredictable. Um, they are, um, I was going to say indecisive, but... Uh, I wish my indecision was as lucrative as that. Um, I think uh, that they are they are holding off for a reason, and that reason will be to do with the bottom line. I think it, it will depend. It will depend really on the next era of football. If if Manchester United can become profitable as you know profitable in the business sense as well as successful on the field. In other words, if those two things can happen together and not in a Glazer type of way. I mean, if football can bring in cost caps similar to Formula One, and I know there are people in football looking at this, then football can become an utter gold mine uh, in which the money is not just uh, wasted by competitive Inflation, if you know what I mean, players' wages is going up and up and up and up. So players can't even count how much money they've got now. But uh, they've been paid more than they actually want now. It's madness. If they can stop that madness by bringing in cost caps uh, in the game so that the wages are huge but not um, inflationary, then I think it will be possible for Ratcliffe <coughs> to buy the whole of Manchester United for a sum that would make even the Glazers' eyes water. There you go. Um, well, hopefully we'll get Paddy on soon. Thank you for your time, Paddy. Will you um, drop off now? Well, I'd love to. It, it's only because I've got to go to the doctor. When you get to my age, you've got to go to the doctor now and again. But yeah. um, I'd love I'd love to come back because uh, it's great to be in the, uh, the company of you and Dave, um, but to be in the, in the company of the great Paul Parker uh is something special um yeah. so, you've always been paddy you've always been my favorite journalist uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I oh i was telling the truth i thought you were a great player <laughs> and, 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 what, the only thing i hate about paul is that and, and, and people listening to this won't won't know i hate him because he still looks good enough to play i absolutely hate him <laughs> all right well, i'll paul see you 
See you soon, Paddy. I'm, I'm, I'm going. I'm going to go off to get some Paul Parker rejuvenation pills from the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> See you. Take care, See you, boys. See you, boys. So that's <coughs> lovely um, insight there from Paddy, and his memories of Sir Bobby were fantastic. Um, let's get on to the the grim reality of Manchester United's performances. Paul, uh, Manchester United two, Sheffield United one. Disappointing. I've had it. It's not really enough time to pick the bones out of the full performance, but your brief thoughts on that. I mean, clearly, it's obvious that there's no defence, no left sides having an impact on the balance of the team. But then you look at a team like Sheffield United who look, I mean, we they beat themselves on Saturday night and that was a team that lost 8-0 in the last home game. They could well go down as the worst Premier League team of all time. And I mean, this is the thing, United sometimes... With a full team, they look like they can compete. Well, a fully fit team look like they can compete with any team in the league. But when you give them a few injuries, they look like they can struggle against any team in the league. Um, what did you make of what you saw on Saturday? Blooming hell, Wayne. I try and try and pick the bones out of what you've left, really, because I think you've said it all there, haven't you? That's yeah. about that's about it. I think I can say they got three points go, leading up towards a a big big European game. I think that's as much really, but. Look, at the end of it, we talked about the defence and that's where I don't... The defence was poor. It was, I mean, when you look at it, McBurney and... Um, oh, God, um, what was his name again? I've forgotten it. The lad they got from um, Villa, Cameron Archer. They caused so many problems in that first 45 minutes by playing the old-fashioned way. Virtually, I'm going to say it was very similar to the side I played in the United. It was a 4-4-1-1. Yeah. Cameron Archer was just working around a McBurney. McBurney was just kind of getting in there, making the two centre halves have to work hard for any clearances. Cameron Archer picked up the pieces, flitted through, and it was causing so many problems. You've got a right back who scores a worldy goal, who's got no great idea of defending, doesn't can't no instinct at all. You, I wouldn't let him drive me on the M25 because he wouldn't know what's around him. Scary, absolutely scary. Then you've got Lindelof, who's doing a good job out of position, but he does a good job. He's honest. He never goes missing, Lindelof. He is, a, as I said many times, a proper leader because he's captain of his country and, and he's been doing it a while and he doesn't get enough respect, really, but he, he digs in and gives a good, adequate performance every time he plays. The midfield was... I've got no idea what the midfield was. Scott McTominay, where was he meant to be playing? Was he defensive or was he attacking? People say he's attacking because he scored that that fall to the ball false for him, fortunately. Yeah. But then where was he playing? I, I really don't know. Fernandez, honestly, it was mix, mix and match. The only one who stood out for me because is Amrabat. Because you could he had, he had energy about him. He was trying to get forward and I want to see him in a good Manchester United midfield to find out how good he really is or or can be because I I haven't seen it. The wide areas were the wide areas are non-existent. There was no there's meant to be two wide players, but there was no no whip or anything of note. And there's a striker. There's a there's going to be a really really good player in Hoyland. Yeah. Incredible, incredible. Just his work ethic and he was showing. I don't give him the ball quick enough. Exactly. Don't give him, don't do do not give him the ball. Now, I said this a thousand times, and I must have said it nine hundred and ninety nine times on here. Is that I played of a player, and the manager turned around and said to all of us, "When that man wants the ball, you give him the ball." But 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 boss, no, give him the ball because he wants it, because he believes in his ability. That was Eric. Yeah. Hoyland comes in, and yes, there's times when he comes in. The centre halves come in and you're playing. You look for a runner behind. United haven't got a runner behind, so you give them the ball so you can set people up who are facing him to do, to that way. But they don't give him the ball. Everyone thinks they can do that a little bit more. It's a very very selfish Manchester United team in this moment in time. Very very selfish. It's not a team. I used that word. I was wrong. It's not a team, and that showed up on Saturday, as you mentioned, Wayne, against a side that uh, well. Two and a half, three weeks ago, beaten 8-0. They was never going to concede that again against Manchester United. But there's a good chance they'll concede that if they play Man City. A good chance if they, can, they will concede that if they play Liverpool. 
maybe a chance they concede at least half of that if they were to play Tottenham. Yeah. No, yeah. Manchester, Manchester United, no. No, and that's the thing as well. They weren't even, there wasn't like it was a massive response from them considering that they'd lost St. Nil at home. You know, they didn't get this galvanised um, approach because simply put, the players, they're, they're not good enough and they will they will go down. There's no doubt. I don't like saying that this early in the season about another team, but they, they will. I mean, because you can see how, how poor that they are. And um, Dave, I mean, there was this... I did a thing on Talk Sport on Saturday night and the guy who was on before me was just moaning about the performance and obviously you put that in perspective of, of the passing earlier in the day and he was saying, oh, the players should have come out and, and given a revved up performance. I don't necessarily believe that because I think it was too soon before the kickoff for, for them to find out you know, if it had been a day earlier. But at the same time, I don't think it... I don't think enough of those players were close enough with Sir Bobby for it to make an emotional difference for that performance to be that flat. So, and, uh, you know, at the same time, I can't understand, you know, the lack of defence and the lack of balance on the left-hand side that is making a significant difference to this United team at the moment. That said, you still want better than what we saw. Oh, well, I mean, the performance level on, on, on Saturday night was truly shocking. I mean, I think the commentator said, and this, this is even more damning if true, that um, uh, Sheffield United were playing a flat back four for the first time this season because they were reduced to so many injuries. So if that's true, and they had to change, you know, their system from the back, you know, from how, whoever they played three and two, whatever, um, it's even more damning that you know they changed their system for for that game and still outperform Manchester United defensively as well. Um, uh, I mean, Paul hit the nail on the head again there with Hoyland. I mean, we've got two wingers. That um, and, I, and I hate bashing our players, but Marcus Rashford is is Paul mentioned is is just the greediest player we have right now. And I I don't want to go over the top on him, but for a player that has played so long in the first team, his decision making is absolutely shocking. It really is. And if he if if he wants to be a winger, his sole purpose is to get that ball and get it in the box. That's his purpose. His sole purpose in his head seems to be. He needs to get in the box with the ball. Um, and every time it ends in the same thing, brick wall, brick wall. That's all it is. Um, I love Anthony. I really do. I think he's, he gives a lot. But, you know, this thing where he cuts in every time on his left foot, everyone knows what he's going to do. Yeah, some of them are going to fly into the top corner, but the majority of them don't. His job as a winger is to get that ball. We have a striker now that will get absolutely a shit ton of goals if we feed him the ball. But we're just not doing that right now. And I can accept that in the first game or two when players are kind of trying to get used to each other. But he gets himself in so many good positions. You know, that, that one that Rashford did eventually whip across, it, it may have been Garnaccio. Um, I, for me, I thought it was a penalty. I thought he got pulled back. Uh, that one that he was just inches off. That's the positions he gets himself in. And more times than not, the ball's not there. Because what Dilly Dallying are over on the left, or what Dilly Dallying over on the right, and you watch the next game and, and see how many times we, we come up the left wing, we turn around, and we're in three passes, the ball's back at our centre-back. It's mind-blowing. And then it goes back across the other side and then back again. Um, it, was a, it was probably the worst performance I've seen Manchester United in a very, very long time. It really was. And the fact that we came away with three points, I mean, it's, I, I, I bet you Sheffield United fans felt robbed because that's how it felt to me that we went in there and we robbed three points. There was no enthusiasm. There was, there's a lack of urgency at Manchester United right now when we get the ball, especially at the back. It's just this tip-tappy back and forward to each other. Let's pad the stats of how many passes I had. There's just no enthusiasm. I, I do agree with Paul with, with McTominay. Um, uh, you know, he got the goal and that's great. But I think now he's confused about what he's supposed to be doing in the team. Is he supposed to be attacking? Is he supposed to be defending? And it did leave Amrabat a little bit flapping in the wind because of that. Uh, he was doing a lot of running around. He was being left exposed a lot of times because McTominay now believes that, or maybe he's been told to get, uh, you know, four to forward. He's got three goals in his last two games. Um, it, it is a concern. And uh, now Casemiro again uh, uh, in the next Champions League match, which is massive. Um, can you imagine saying that when we saw that draw 
that at home to Copenhagen is a massive game. Mind-blowing. Oh. Absolutely mind-blowing. Let, let me come on to that. Um, Johnny says in, in the comments here, uh, to me, the players are not wingers. You talk, I mean, uh, when you said that about wingers, I immediately thought of Paul saying they're not proper wingers. And then Gordon Hill, who's usually on the podcast as well, sometimes he'd be like, they're not wingers. They're not wingers. They're known as inside forwards. They're not there to supply the centre forward. To me, they should be, yeah. Um, well, that's what they're there for, really. Yeah, all right, they are transitional players, but they've still got to someone's got to feed the ball into the centre forward at some point. Whose responsibility is it if it's not theirs? Um, but yeah, I, I mean, Dave was talking about Copenhagen there, Paul, and, and it's, it's become a big game. But Champions League qualification at this moment in time, United, I said it earlier, I think against Bayern Munich, we showed a, a good account of ourselves. If we'd have got a full complement of players there, you thought, well, do you know what, we're not far off a result. Um, so, I feel like in Europe, we're actually with a full complement, we're close to the elite than what we are in the league at the moment. Because I mean, the, 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 well, we're as close because the Premier League is basically <coughs> as good as European football at the moment. Because European football's on its backside in terms of quality compared to the rest of the Premier League. So when United don't have a full complement um, in the Premier League, obviously it looks really bad. Um, and we can struggle against teams like Sheffield United. And that's still the problem on the continent. Um, I, I've got to be brief about this because we're going to preview City as well. Um, but, Paul, the conundrum for United, do we really want to be in this competition? Like, Do you want to try and qualify for this? Because we're likely to get embarrassed in the knockout. Or do you now look at it and think, all right, I'm not saying deliberately drop points or anything, and, and you know, United aren't in a position where they can afford to do that. But maybe looking... Is it not better for us to be in the Europa League and and suffer our eventual embarrassment at the semi-final stage in that competition rather than put ourselves through like a you know whooping against the Paris or something? Yeah. To be perfectly honest, I'd rather what I'd rather watch a Europa League because it's more open. There's better football in the Europa League than what is in the Champions League. The Champions League seems a staged competition to me nowadays about who's going to win it. You talk about the rest of Europe and. All the quality in Europe, the Premier League are giving everyone the opportunity to bring it into play in the league. So we're taking away all the strengths of the teams in Europe to almost guarantee that a side from the Premier League wins a competition. That's that's where we are at this moment. Some of the, the, the good sides that used to be competitive in the Champions League are that weakened now. They only qualify for the Europa League, i.e. Barcelona. In certain ways, Barcelona have made that, you know, that, you know, that bit severe have kind of made it there. But even though they don't generally do well in the league, Sevilla, they're generally always strong in that competition, Villarreal, and there's certain teams in it. But I look at United and they might not have a choice, to be honest, where they're going. I actually did say at the start of this competition that I felt that they're fighting, they're fighting um, for Europa League spot. Yeah. That's, that's what I said. I just didn't, everyone's, oh, look who they've got. If you had said that to me, Four or five years ago, I would have still, I would have been on, still there saying, they've got, they, they qualify. I believe they would qualify. Not now. I didn't believe they were going to even Galatasaray. I didn't, because I thought about the game there and what they'd make it into, and I didn't think the players were strong enough to go and accept that there. It's going to be even harder going there to go and get to need three points to go to Galatasaray because the game, the game could be won before this even kicked off. To be honest, Copenhagen at home. They're a decent side. They're, they're a better team than Galatasaray, a football yeah. team. So they're going to come there. Their ball retention is going to be better than United's. So United have got a problem. United now are in that mode, of, as I see them, is that when I do my football thing, my weekly thing I do for the um, pub at the road, oh, United are going to win one. They're always, they're always going to concede. Where before... Never talked about, like even last season, I wasn't doing that. When they started the season, Varane and um, Martinez, never done it. Because I believe that they'd win a game and it'd be one, two, three. Never thought about them. Yes, when they played the bigger boys, you thought yes. But now they play anybody, I'm thinking to myself, they're going to concede. Yeah. This weekend, because they're playing Sheffield United, <clears throat> playing Sheffield United, I didn't, I didn't have them to concede. Did I, did I really... You know, and that is just well, it, and it happened. Yeah. So um, no, it's 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 not right. And I just think 
they are going to they are going to struggle, and it's going to this will go down to the last game for them, and it'll be a case of do they want it or not to qualify for a place in Europe. Yeah, a um, couple of comments here. Um, talking tennis, I think it's Johnny. Um, oh, you well, John. He says I want us to go out for it in the Champions League. Let's try and get six points against Copenhagen. The Europa League can be sapping. Just look at last year. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying we. I don't want us to go for it. I just mean like. <laughs> We, we're likely to get embarrassed. I mean, we are in the Champions League now, and we're not doing very well. I mean, it's not like we're waiting for it. We just got outplayed against Galatasaray at home, and we, you know, um, got another comment here from David Murphy, who I, I'm sure is not the Dave Murphy who's sat in front of me. Um, he says, "Totally agree that greed is unbelievable. I think Bruno has to work extra hard to make up for others who aren't doing their job, unless it is Dave just agreeing with his own comments." Typing away there, um, yeah. Um, so let's uh, preview the Manchester City game. Wait, so be- before we before we we do preview, I'm 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 praying that we actually end up in the Europa League. Um, it, it's got absolutely nothing to do with the fact that the final is on in Dublin. Um, so yeah, let's get into the Europa League. Well, don't worry. We we've got multiple ways to get in there because it's not. Is it not just like elimination? It's the 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 playoff round or something like that. There's numerous ways for United to get into the Europa League. So don't worry. I'm sure. Unless Um, we finish last in the group, which is a possibility. Yeah, it is. Um, Well, speaking of pessimism, we've got Manchester City at the weekend. Um, who aren't in great form themselves, but you know, United are missing four players at least. Casemiro might still be out, so that, that you know, I don't know what the scale is. Varane might be back considering he came on. Wambasaka has been pictured back in training, it's a lot of responsibility for the players in midfield to try and keep up with that city midfield, but yes, city aren't in, in great form themselves. Um, or at least they haven't when I've seen them. They don't look um, like they've sort of kicked on from the treble or anything like that. Maybe a bit flat after it. Um, Dave, I'll, I'll come to you first on this one. What are you expecting? It It, it is concerning. Um, on the back of the Sheffield United game, um, I, I just, I don't know. You want the reaction, don't you? You really do. Um I just don't know whether we're going to get one. I just don't. I just this team baffles me. There's just, just there seems to be just no enthusiasm. There seems to be no like, okay, you know, each week they play bad. It's the hope that kills you that they'll react to it the following week. Um, but I, I, I'm concerned. I am uh, Manchester City at home. You know, much weaker. Far weaker teams have come to Old Trafford and come away with three points. Um, I, I always go into a game with Manchester United, and this won't change for this weekend, thinking we're going to win, um, because that's just a supporter in me. Um, never accept defeat before the whistle blows, but I just don't know. I don't know whether we have the players here to, to actually react to that drab 90 97 minutes or whatever it was on 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 saturday night it was like i said it was it was the worst game i've seen in a long time but there doesn't seem to be from the player standpoint it doesn't seem to be a um a kind of a tip the hat towards that they were all coming out and saying we you know we won the match for so bobby we did this we did that it didn't show it, it really didn't show the only positive thing that came out of, of, of saturday night was we had three points i'm um yeah, I'm I'm concerned about City, uh, and you're right. They they haven't they haven't started off in the City fashion, but they always seem to you know they always seem to show up against Manchester United as well. So, um, albeit you know one or two defeats over the past years, um, a Tommy one in particular, um, um, I don't know. I don't I don't see us getting three points. You know, and and I'd be, um. I'd be surprised if we took a point from the game at the weekend, I'll be honest. It's it's a tough one, Paul. I mean, you're a big one on reactions and performances, you know, and United are, for numerous reasons, whatever reason you want to say, whether it's attitude or whether it's ability to be able to do that with the players that they've got at the moment, they're unable to put in (coughs) what 
seemingly, seemingly unable to put in the kind of performance that we want them uh, put in against Manchester City because you're going to need a complete um, paradigm shift from from what we're used to seeing. Um, it doesn't bode well, does it? I mean, I, I, I hate I hate the fact that we're in a position which we can't avoid that City are coming to Old Trafford as favourites. It's been the case for for a few years now, but I, I hate seeing that, and I hate even more going into a game thinking I really can't see us getting a result. And the reason why I'm feeling like that is because I don't know if the players are good enough to put in the requisite energy levels, and that's the least that you should expect. And you know, when when it gets to that, it's concerning. It's concerning, and like you mentioned about energy levels, that should be there. That should be there in every single game. Without a shadow of a doubt, shouldn't be asked, shouldn't be questioning that one. It should always be there as a player. Doesn't matter how bad things are going, you should want to. And this game gives the players the opportunity, the ones who haven't been showing it, to go and find it, and you know, and get it, get it sorted out, and get it implanted in their brains. Now, if they come out and they give a hundred percent and they they show so much energy, but City have to work hard to get anything from the game. You turn around and say, fantastic, brilliant, made up for last week, brilliant. But then should question every single one of them about what's been going on in previous games. That can't be forgot. That can't be forgotten, Wayne. It shouldn't be forgotten. And that's and that's the problem. It gets that way in football that people suddenly forget about that and just look at that when we talk we're, we're not talking about a cup competition, we're talking about a league. Because at the end of the day, you run a marathon, and if you don't start right you're not going to get to the end and you're not going to win it. And it's the way United are going at the moment. They're, they're not going, not about winning. It's about finishing in the right position. And the right position would be a bonus now is to finish in the European spot. They're not going to get there. They're not going to get there the way they're going on. Now, with the players to come back, I would say it would make an improvement. But the problem is, the long term, it doesn't because though we know the players, everyone should have got an idea of the players that they can't trust week in, week out. It's the Sims at the moment, it isn't going right, they just go bang. And they've been doing that for other managers as well. So it isn't about Ten Hag. It isn't about him. It's about the individual players who have got a problem. Ten Hag has found players who have only, has found newer players now who have got them who have got a serious issue. They think they rule the roost because they're earning a lot of money. Um, but it, the problem, the problem is the players and the players that he has been, he has, he has been stuck with. Has he got all his signings right? As we look at the, the bigger picture now, after he's been there, we have to say maybe not. But it isn't that bad. He needs, he needs the opportunity. Going back to when Paddy was there and what I was alluding to, he needs the opportunity to be able to go in the marketplace. Yeah. and get what he feels is right. That's what he needs, to the opportunity to take this club forward. He did it, and it was a burst. It, um, it got a European spot, it's got a, it got a trophy, and it got an appearance in an FA Cup. So he deserves the opportunity to get that of going into the marketplace and being able to buy something, because in theory, he's, just got, he's gone into the marketplace with expectations of buying the best designer clothes in the world. And what's ended up, what's happened? Someone's just gone by in a transit van and thrown Primark at him. And that's where he is at this moment in time with what he's got in his, in his shop. He's got nothing there who, who he can 100% trust. Yeah, and I think Sorry. you're right. Sorry, go on, Sorry Wayne, can, can, I, can I just go back to something Paul had said and, and it struck a real chord is that um, for... For decades, you know, especially through the whole Fergie reign, and, and even now, um, uh, and you know, I think Ferguson alluded to this at one point where he said some teams only show up against Manchester United. I think he mentioned a Leeds United team that set Kevin Keegan off. I don't know. There was there was a bit of a tit for tat there, but I would have never thought I would be watching Manchester United in a time where, and and it's a great point that Paul made to say that. If they do turn up against City and they win, he makes a great point to say, why aren't we questioning the players then? Because it'll get lost in the fanfare. It'll get lost in the we won. And I never, ever thought we would get to a position at Manchester United where we are raising our game to be the team and then it's dropping at the end. You know, it, it, 
like I said, it, it's one of the things that I always say that when Manchester United win the league, it's that much more, it's that much tougher for Manchester United to win the league because teams show up and they pay that, they play that extra 10, 15, so they run that extra, you know, 100 yards or whatever it is to get back. Um, and I'm sure Paul has seen that many times at Old Trafford where teams just, they're a different team when they play Manchester United versus, and no disrespect, when they play Southampton or whatever, Nottingham Forest. But here we are in a position I was ourselves. The, I, was, I was, I played in a team that done that when I was at QPR. It was, it was, it was, it was that's how it was, Dave. It, but here we are in a position right now where you're right. If they show up against City, we have to ask, well, where are we against Sheffield United? You know, where are we against Crystal Palace? I thought we would never come to that. So thanks for thanks for bringing that up, Paul, and mm. and now ruining my week because now I'm going off to think about that. I'll be like, <laughs> he's right, he's right. Well, how have we got ourselves into this position? It 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 was a great point to make. So yeah, I, when you did interrupt me, but I was actually making that point. So you you brought us to the end of the podcast because oh okay. Um, so just to conclude on the theme of. Um, similar surnames. We had a David Murphy, and now we've got a, a Tony Barton, who's no relative. Um, I don't think so. Anyway, I don't think there's any Tonys in my family. But um, carrying on the name with far more dignity and integrity than I do, obviously. Uh, Tony says we are the worst team in the Premier League. If our overpaid superstars played as a team, we would be rolling teams over. But instead, we have a group with a couple of ex- exceptions of players who play solely for themselves. Is it the coaching staff? I don't think so. Or the attitude and intelligence of the players. We've been talking about that throughout the pod. And the question is, I mean, it's more to do, you would probably say the latter at the moment. And, you, you know, you see when a team pulls together that we can achieve like we did last season. But, yeah, you have to question the decision-making of some players. And I guess when the pressure is high, the players become selfish in defending their own reputations, and um, that's the product of what we're seeing at the moment. I think um, that's just an observation. It's not a damning indictment. It's just my opinion. Um, that's the end of the pod. We'll be back next week. Well, Paul and I will. Dave is chickening out because he knows what's going <laughs> to happen in the City game. Um, if you're watching live on YouTube or Facebook, if you can like the video, if you can share it, if you can subscribe if you're on YouTube, if you are watching the replay, if you can uh, feel free to comment. Um, thanks again to Paddy earlier on for giving his insight and um, Paul for his time and, and everyone's thoughts on uh, Bobby Charlton. Um, if you're listening back on the audio podcast as well, if you can like, subscribe, leave a review on the platform you're listening on, would really, really appreciate it. The reviews help us out a lot. So um, if you can do that, would appreciate that. And um, Paul and I will be back next week to talk about whatever is going to happen in that game against Manchester City. Um, hopefully, we'll be questioning the attitude of the players in a good way to say, where was it against Sheffield United? But we don't hold out much hope. Have a good week, guys. Um, and thanks for watching and listening. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.